Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world, welcoming the LGBTQ community today and every day. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and our topic today is transforming ourselves and the world through selfless service. We're trying to look at the question of how does a heart of service respond to the difficulties in our times, and how do we overcome fear and awaken the compassion that is innate within us? I'm delighted to be joined today by Nipun Mehta, who has been a guest with us several times in the past. Nipun is the founder of Service Space, an incubator of projects that works at the intersection of volunteerism, technology, and the gift economy. What started as an experiment with four friends in the Silicon Valley has now grown to a global ecosystem of over 500,000 members that has delivered millions of dollars in service for free. In this past year, coronavirus.org, a play on the words coronavirus, is one of the many programs that have grown out of service space. Nipun Mehta has received many awards, including the Jefferson Award for Public Service, the Dalai Lama's Unsung Hero of Compassion, Goy Peace Award in 2019. A few years ago, President Barack Obama appointed him to a Council on Poverty and Inequality. Uh, The Service Space website, if you want to check it out, is servicespace.org, and the Coronavirus website is coronavirus.org, and that's K-A-R-U-N-A, which, as we'll talk about, karuna is a Sanskrit word meaning compassion, so it's coronavirus.org. Welcome, Nipun Mehta. I'm really delighted to have you back on the show. I am happy to be here. Thank you, Laurel. So before we begin our dialogue about transforming ourselves and the world through selfless service, let's begin with a yoga moment, a moment to bring ourselves fully present into this moment right here and right now. So let's begin by just feeling our bodies, bringing our attention back home, back to our bodies in space, wherever we are and whatever we're doing, just feeling our bodies, feeling the surfaces that support our bodies, feeling our feet on the floor, perhaps, if we're sitting in a chair, being aware of that, if we're walking, feeling the ground beneath our feet, just noticing, and then bringing our attention to the breath, 
wonderful tool that's always with us. Just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath on the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the parts of our body that are moving. And on the exhale, feeling how that movement changes. On the next inhale, feeling the warm, the cool air in the nostrils. And on the next exhale, feeling how that air has been warmed as it passes through our lungs. And as we sit here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate from the Yoga Hours founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien's book, The Jewel of Abundance. Let the focus of giving include everything. Let it be how we live every day. Let the focus of giving include everything. Let it be how we live every day. We think of our work as serving, as giving. We do our best and then let it go. We see all that we do as an offering and give it freely. Conscious giving is surely a way to enter the abundant flow of grace through surrendered offerings. Life is truly more enjoyable when we give. Life is truly more enjoyable when we give. So once again, Nipun Meta, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. As I said, I'm really delighted you're able to join us today. Um, when we invited you to come back on the program to talk about karma yoga, selfless service, you enthusiastically accepted, which was lovely, and you shared some of your thoughts on karma yoga with our team, which we're going to talk about later in the show. But first, I wanted to get a chance for our listeners to get reacquainted with you. And I know all of your work is focused on service to others and your organization service space is designed to encourage others to serve. So tell us how you first began to serve others. How did this become such an important part of your life? Well, thank you, uh, Laurel, again, for inviting me here. I just love this topic of karma yoga. It actually uh, hit at a very serendipitous time for me, um, and so I'm excited to be here. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure when I first began serving others. I mean, it's always hard to kind of trace it back, but I think ever since I was a kid, I've always had this uh, feeling, this sense of connection with others. And if others are suffering around me, I feel like I want to do something about it. You know, I want to reach out in whatever limited ways uh, that I have at my disposal. Um, so I, I, I think it's always been there. I remember a time when I was very young and I, I uh, you know, I grew up in India and then I came here uh, in my early teens. And, and when I did, my parents would every so often take us back to India. And I remember one of those times when I, I went back and 
I was with a friend and he was showing off his little moped and, uh, you know, my stomach was getting a little queasy and I threw up. And, uh, you know, there, there was this, uh, there was this guy who stopped and who saw us in trouble. These two 14 year olds, you know, like looking lost and, um, and he saw us and, and he, uh, went to a nearby stall and, and he took a lemon out of his bag, cut it in half and gave me half a lemon. And it really touched me, you know? Um, and I, realized that I ne- I didn't know his name. I had no way to contact him. I'll probably never see him again. And my takeaway from that experience was I want to be like that when I grow up, mm-hmm. right? Like I want to be that person that stops for somebody else and completely disappears. And yet here I am talking about that man so many, you know, decades later. Um, and, and, and so how can you leave uh, that kind of a ripple effect without leaving a heavy footprint, without leaving a heavy trace of your own identity uh, mm-hmm. as a part of that? And that, I think that was always an aspiration, still continues to be an aspiration. You know, I can't say I have arrived there, but that's something that I aspire to. I think that was that's very much a part of me and who I am. Wow, that's a great story. So I know Service Space has been going for quite some time. Why don't we start there? So what is Service Space? How does it work? Why don't you describe it for listeners a little bit who may not be familiar with the website? Yeah, well, we started Service Space in 1999 as a way to practice generosity, as a way to serve, but serve not just for an external impact, but serve also with the mindfulness that every small act uh, that we do uh, that is other oriented actually changes us. Mm-hmm. And so what happens when you shift the orientation, not just from external impact, but to inner transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the core of the service based experiment. And so we started by building websites, uh, at, at, you know, in 1999, nobody even knew what websites were. We went, to, we went to a homeless shelter and I remember the woman, uh, there, very sweet woman who ran the shelter and she gave us a screwdriver. She's like, go ahead, put the website in my computer. And we were like, no, we can do it from home. And they're like, what kind of volunteering is this? You know? Wow. Um, and, and so that was, that was external manifestation, but for us, the core of it was to enter into this heart of service. Um, the core of it was to see the inner ripple effect not just the outer ripple effect. Um, and that was profound. And so service space now, you know, more than 20 years later has become like a field. I would, I would say a field of purely intrinsically motivated acts because it's all volunteer run. And there's an intelligence to that kind of a field when everyone gives without any strings attached into this collective. Um, it it has a kind of synergistic effect. You know, it's not just that your resources and my resources come together and your talents and my talents come together. And it's not, you know, uh, it's not simple addition. You know, it's not one plus one is two. It's something, there's something greater that gets unlocked when your heart of love comes together with my heart of love. And so it's, it's become like this field and in this kind of a field with such deep roots, um, going back all the way down to each one of our spirits, uh, you have incredible fruits that keep coming out. And so at an external level, you know, we run a lot of offline projects and a lot of online projects. Um, and there's a lots of ways for people to get engaged. Uh, but internally, uh, for us, it's the whole practice is to see how we can 
do the smallest acts of kindness with the lens of uh, this inner transformation. And when you do that, there's just this tremendous gratitude and you feel like doing even more. I think there's a famous quote. Um, it says, well, I forget who said this, but I really like it. Um, it says the reward for service is more service. Mm that you genuinely feel like doing more. And so here is this field of service space where there's, you know, we don't fundraise, it's, there's no staff, it's all volunteer run, and we're doing small acts, like we're not even trying to change the world. And 20 years later, it's just so incredibly rich and it's so diverse and it's just like blossoming in all kinds of directions. And you're like, wait a second, what is making this happen? And I think it's nature. It's that, you know, an act of service begets another act of service because you just want to be in that space of love. Um, so that's not doesn't tell you too much about the work of service phase, but tells you a little bit about the spirit of it. Yeah. Well, I feel like you've kind of already touched on this, but what would you say you've discovered about yourself in doing this work? Oh, uh, a lot. <laughs> you know, I was in my early 20s in the Silicon Valley and every all my peers are trying to go get more and more. And here we were saying, hey, we should give with a big heart, you know, mm. uh, and everyone's like, OK, that sounds good as a side job. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it was, uh, it was inc inc incredible, uh, to hold this kind of vibration in that context, um, for me, and it continues to be a growing experience. I would say if you, if I had to pin it down, maybe at the deepest level, uh, I think the thing that I have learned, um, just the way service space is set up is to just decouple from outcomes. Right. Like we, mm -hmm. in 20 years of service space, because we don't fundraise, I've never written an impact report. Like usually people will fund nonprofit organizations and they will then say, well, what have you done with the money that I've given you? Right. And then you're kind of looking at someone's transformation and you have to convert it into a Google spreadsheet. You know, like mm -hmm. this is the quantifiable things. I've just not done that because of the way service space is organized. And that changes you. Because then I'm going into an interaction and I'm not thinking, what can I get? How is this quantifiable? What is, how is this going to look on this report? Because there's just no need for that for, you know, in our case. And so when you do that, it becomes a habit. And then you start doing dishes uh, in your own home with that same love. Like mm. it sounds unbelievable, but I actually get happy doing the smallest thing for my wife. Right. Mm. Like, and it's like, wow, you know, like I, I want to make her day just the same way I approach any email that comes in and just the same way when I'm doing big things in the world as well. It's all kind of like as Mother Teresa says, we can do no great things, small acts with great love. And I think I've learned that because I've just decoupled from the outcomes um, mm. process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're going to dig more you know, into that idea of the mindset, you know, that you with which you do service uh, for karma yoga. But first, I, I wanted to touch on Karuna, <clears throat> coronavirus.org. So when our team was uh, getting ready and discussing uh, having you back on the podcast, we found one of your service space projects, which is this coronavirus.org. And, and for our listeners, again, I am not mispronouncing coronavirus. <laughs> it's coronavirus, K-A-R-U-N-A virus, with the Sanskrit word karuna, meaning compassion. So 
and and uh, so tell us, tell us about coronavirus.org. How was it conceived, and and how have people been responding to what you guys have been producing? Yeah, well, I, the coronavirus has been a remarkable uh, blossoming. Actually, I was in a meditation retreat last March when the pandemic hit. Um, and in a 30-day meditation retreat. So I come out of this retreat and everyone, I realize, oh, everyone is quarantined, not just me, you know. <laughs> um, different kind and, of quarantine. <laughs> but yeah, a different kind of quarantine, yes, and maybe involuntary. And and of course, I mean, I, I say that, uh, you know, half-jokingly because it was just incredible amount of suffering uh, that people were going through. And this suffering was distributed unevenly. And so you saw that, wow, there is there so much pain. And there were people responding to that suffering with great compassion. Mm-hmm. And, and the narrative in the media was, oh, my God, fear and compounding fear onto fear. Right? It's like, oh, my God, the whole world's coming to an end. This is what's, you know, this is what's wrong. You can't like, you know, you don't want to be near anybody and all these things could go wrong and all our systems are broken. And, you know, there was so much of that rhetoric and in presence of that, uh, we noticed that there were so many people responding with compassion, but those stories were not really getting um, getting airtime. And so we said, let's create a portal uh, where, uh, yes, the suffering is real, but yes, the compassion is also real. And we need to have that in our, you know, in our inner ecologies. If that's not present, the fear just compounds and we start really being more and more polarized. And so we said, how do you circulate a bit more love, a bit more compassion? Um, and so it just, we created this portal. Uh, actually in March, we self, we launched it and we said, here are stories of people uh, who are, you know, doing small acts with great heart. You had kids doing that. You had, you know, elders who were, you know, I remember this one story of this Italian priest and, and back in those days, you know, the ventilator was like the big thing. And, and so here they were in Italy and it was like crazy times. And here's this Italian priest saying, I am, I have lived a full life. And, uh, you know, I understand that I don't have oxygen right now and I need that ventilator, but, uh, there's that young kid, uh, who's also in the same COVID ward. And, you know, I think he needs it more. And so he sacrificed, uh, the ventilator, and he says, give it to that young man. And he passed away a couple days later. And you just saw people like, and, and, and similarly, you saw like there was this beautiful story of this young uh, college kid who says, well, if we all have masks, uh, then you can't lip read if you, you know, if you are a person who relies on lip reading. Uh, and she had a brother like that. And so she created see-through, uh, see-through masks, you know, just so you could still see the smile, but also, uh, you know, you're able to do lip reading. Um, and so you just saw that people were praying together across religions. People had stopped fighting. The UN chief was saying, oh, my God, we've never seen this. People who usually would fight with each other within countries and even across countries have halted their wars. Um, and so it just kind of gave a very different insight into into this. Um, and so for me, it was uh, it has been and continues to be. Now there are thousands of these stories, so it's incredibly powerful. Yeah, it's just so lovely and so needed. So thank you and thank Service Space for that. It's really great. 
So we are talking today about karma yoga or selfless service as one of the four paths of yoga. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the about just touch on that briefly before we dive more fully into karma yoga. So in karma yoga, the word karma is translated as action, um, but it is just one of the four types of yoga, classical types of yoga, uh, which match our different temperament types as we become attracted to um, one of these or more of these paths to self and God realization. And um, it's important to know they're not exclusive, mutually exclusive. I think all of us participate in all four paths to some extent. But just to mention the other three are uh, jnana yoga, the path of discriminative intelligence or wisdom, bhakti yoga, the path of love and devotion, and then raja yoga, which is the yoga of technique and has its focus on meditation and the mastery of states of consciousness and kriya yoga, which uh, is followed at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, which is the uh, sponsor of the program is um, includes all four of those paths. So but when you were talking about uh, karma yoga and your email back to us, that was so inspirational to our team, you, you wrote karma yoga isn't merely action, or even a seemingly sympathetic or empathetic act of service, but an action held with a particular kind of mind, a mindset that surrenders outcomes and hence is deeply rooted in grace and a trust. Mm -hmm. So that was very touching to me. I just love that description that it's karma yoga is not the actions, the external actions that make it a karma yoga practice, but it's the mindset. So can you say more about that? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think when we look at any action, right, there is an external component to it and an internal component to it. Um, you can think of it as like a physical component and a mental component. Um, but I actually think that's a false dichotomy. Right? It's actually more, in my experience, uh, between a gross sort of visible component and a subtle component. Mm. Um, and those delineations are calibrated by our awareness. So, uh, some, so consider like a small act of kindness that we do, right? an act of service that you might do at a, at an action level. Uh, you could do that act, and you could be uh, feeling incredibly stingy on the inside. Mm. Right? And you could do that same act with a much more abundant heart. Uh, is there a difference between the two, or is it just external that counts? You know, um, I was recently reading uh, this passage by Stephen Levine. And he, he talks about these three kinds of giving, which I really like this framing. And he says there's beggarly giving, neighborly giving, and kingly giving. Mm. Um, so the same act, but if it's done with this kind of like, oh, I want this in return. So sure, I may be giving you material things, but I want credit or I want a photo or I want, you know, some kind of even an acknowledgement. Uh, there's a kind of string attached to it, right? Whether it's a thick rope or a, a tiny small thread, uh, either way, it's, it's, it's beggarly. Uh, neighborly kind of giving is more uh, where you know you share you share something with your neighbor because you have so many strands in common, but the kingly kind of giving uh, to me is it's it's like a king gives not because you need it. He's a, you're like walking into his uh, into his territory, and he's saying, "I'm not giving because you need. I'm not doing a needs analysis on on like my guest. I'm giving because it's who I am." 
It's because you have come to this doorstep. So how do you how do you approach giving in that way, right? Where you can actually you're you know and and there's a dis- difference. Um, so if you do a small act of kindness with that kind of a mindset, right, with the mindset of uh, a kingly giver, uh, that has a very different impact, um, not just externally, uh, but also internally, and also. Uh, in the multiplier effect uh, that ends up happening. So my sense is that because of our lack of awareness, uh, we make an accounting error, you know, um, it's accounting error between what matters. Like it's, oh, well, it's external that matters and internal, well, it's okay. So long as I'm doing the, you know, the person who needed something, I gave it to them. And so what if I was in a beggarly mindset or a neighborly mindset or a kingly mindset? And I think karma yoga invites us to reconsider the math, right? To mm-hmm. say that when you actually surrender the outcomes, um, and, and I think this is really key, uh, our awareness starts to deepen and we can see more. Right. In, in computer science, I'm, I'm an engineer, you know, they talk about big data. You know, this is actually huge data. So as your awareness deepens, you can just see a whole lot more. And now actions certainly matter, right? Your physical manifestation of uh, your intention certainly matters, but the mindset also matters. Mm-hmm. And the mindset create and, and both have, you know, both are operating in very different ways right? at very different frequencies. And you start to be much more skillful in this whole pantheon of, uh, possibilities uh, when you look at this huge field of data, you know. So I, I think that's its, uh, that's the core of karma yoga for me, is to actually reconsider the math and reconsider these boundaries between internal and external, and 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 in surrendering the outcomes, we actually open up to a whole new field of possibility. Mm. No, I think that's just so beautiful the way that you described mm-hmm. it and and talks about the internal transformation that you're talking about that is possible through giving. It just also strikes me that this is also rooted in the, the, the kind of core yoga concept of us all being one, you know, we are all one. And that's why that's perhaps why the internal matters as much as it does, you know, that uh, we are all one. But then if you are, if you are not holding it that way, um, if you're, if you're, as you said, beggarly giving, that is not really holding true to that essential principle of yoga that, you know, we're really all, you know, we have that spark of the divine within us and we are all one. And it seems like kingly giving is really coming from that, you know, that overflowing of abundance, that, you know, that outward flow. Of, and and, uh, and, of and if you find if you find yourself in the beggarly state, you know, it's it's not that, oh, it's bad and I want to be a kingly giver right now. You may not be able to do that. But the pointer to it, I think that's what karma yoga invites you to do is that, wow, OK, let's consider this. This is important. If I'm feeling stingy on the inside and I'm and being generous on the outside that you can't just gloss it over, you know, and karma yoga invites you to actually reconsider that. Um, and as you reconsider that, then over time, you, it starts changing, you know, and you, you start arriving at kingly giving. That's beautiful. Um, this is the uh, end of the first segment. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with my guest, Nipun Mehta. He's founder of the organization ServiceSpace.org. 
and uh, stay with us. We're going to be talking more about karma yoga as a transformational spiritual practice. We'll be right back. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour, insights and practices for spiritually conscious living. Welcome back from the break. This is Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and my guest today is Nipun Mehta. Um, Nipun, over the break, you and I were just chatting, and I wanted to I wanted to bring a little bit of that conversation into the show. So we were talking about karma yoga as being typically translated as selfless service. And then I was I was saying that the focus somehow seems to be on the service part, you know, the, 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 the service part of those two words, selfless service. But really what you're talking about, what we were discussing in the first part of the show, was bringing the focus more on the selfless part. And I was saying something about how um, it's equally as important as the service part, but then you said something great. You said something about how big it is. Can you remember what you just said? Yeah, I, I, I think in originally we tend to think, okay, inside and outside matter, selflessness and, uh, you know, service action and, uh, your mindset. But actually over time, I think it's, uh, you realize the mindset is way more, uh, important and way more potent. It's, it's, uh, in, even in terms of delivering the outcome that you want to get at, if you're just doing the out, outcome and ignoring, um, the inner landscape, I, I think we're ignoring a huge, uh, you know, potential that is untapped. So we're leaving a lot on the table when we do that. Um, so in your, in your experience with service space, you must work with a lot of young people who are just starting out in their various fields of work, and they bring a lot of enthusiasm to their work. How do you talk to them about this idea of karma yoga? How do you talk to them about this inner, this inner mindset that we've been talking about and letting go of the outcome, which must be such a foreign concept to a young person just starting out. How do you do yeah. that? I, I love it because it's, it, I, I love you. It's because, you know, they're so open and curious and I, I love I loved it when I was young, too, because adults are too busy defending their views. You know, yeah, young people just have this, you know, whenever I'm in front of an audience and uh, if, if it's a young audience, like the most commonly asked question will be, um, oh, so what's the coolest act of kindness you've done? You know, they want to get to action. <laughs> but if it's adults, they're like, oh, wait, how do you pay your bills? And, you know, it's like, yes, that's that's a question, but it's, it's a very adult kind of a question. And and I, I think the, you know, Gandhi used to say that if I had to learn uh, the law of love, I would learn it from little kids, you know, because they're so connected to it. Uh, and here's Gandhi saying that, you know, so uh, I, I, I really like engaging with youth. And I, I think uh, when we what I would say is that when we let go of something, we also let come something else. And I I think if we tend to focus purely on outcomes, 
uh, all our relationships over time become very transactional. So you're thinking, oh, how can I use this other person? And very simply, like, do you, how do you like to feel? If somebody's using you, how do you feel about that? Um, you know, not so good. So do you want to be using other people? Do you want to frame relationships as transactions? Um, and, and another thing I would say, and in general, this has been true of my journey too, is I don't tend to look at it as right or wrong, but more as an experiment, right? Go out and try it. Like, go try an act of kindness. Do it. And I've done it with my uh, young nieces. You know, you go out and do something for the cashier behind the counter and see what that feels like. And, and there's so much neuroscience now that that tells you that all these endorphins get released and serotonin and oxytocin and dopamine. And you feel a lot more in coherence with uh, a, a much larger force, a much bigger force than your own ego. Um, and, and so I would, for me, I just go to kids and I would say experiment, go out and do an act of kindness. And, you know, if it doesn't work for you, don't do it. And, how, you know, in, invariably, of course, it, it works. I remember I was at a school one time and I finished, I, I gave a talk. And at the end of this talk, they gave me all these flowers and it was like a big school. And so they had like given, it was a lot of flowers, you know, and I'm like, what am I going to do with these flowers? And <laughs> <laughs> so I, I decided to like, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to open up this bouquet. Um, and I said, I'm going to give one to all the kids to then pay forward to other people in their school. They haven't appreciated like the janitor or the kitchen staff or the, you know, or the doorman or your teachers or even your fellow students. And so here I was in line, you know, they'd given me a lot of flowers, but there were a lot of students. So I actually ran out of flowers and they even got me more flowers because they were like, this is a great thing. So now I had even more flowers. I'm giving them, I'm giving them one at a time and I'm making eye contact with each one. And I, it felt so special to me to be able to be a small part of their kindness in this way. And the line finishes and there's this young girl that's come, comes back in line and she says, you know, I gave mine away and it was incredible. Can I get a, can I get another flower? Right. This impulse to like, she tried it and she saw what it felt like and she wanted to do more of it. Um, and so I think with young people, it's actually a much easier process. And I would just say, try it, see what it feels like to re release outcomes and to fall into grace um, and, and see where that takes you. And if it doesn't work, don't do it, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> that is a beautiful story. That is a beautiful image. So thank you for that. So um, <clears throat> I wanted to mention that um, that the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the main uh, texts that we study at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, along with the uh, Yoga Sutras, um, really uh, Bhagavad Gita talks about the yoga of action in chapter three as an important spiritual practice in uh, chapter three. Verse 7 says, the superior person is one whose mind can control their senses with no attachment to results. This person engages in the yoga of action. And so that's really what we're talking about, that mindset. And going back to this, this email that you wrote our team back, uh, you talked about karma yoga as a mindset that surrenders outcomes and hence is deeply rooted in grace and trust. Such actions over time invite us to build trust within ourselves 
and let it ripple into our relationships and ultimately into systems. We tend to classify grace in small moments, but how does it organize itself at scale? And that I thought, wow, when I read that, it was kind of like mind blowing. (laughs) How does grace organize itself at scale? So I wanted to ask you about that. So how have you come to trust in grace uh, through these many years that you've been working with the service space? Well, first of all, I, I didn't even realize that I was growing in my faith and grace until uh, until this young person asked me a question and says, uh, what advice would you give to your 16-year-old self? Mm-hmm. And when I was asked that question, I was like, oh, it's an interesting question. Like, what advice would I give to my 16-year-old self now that I've gone through all, all these experiences and, and now I'm fully bald and I can show, you know, it's like, <laughs> what has that experience taught me? Um, and I said, uh, you know, what I ended up saying is that I think what I would tell my 16-year-old self is that I, I, at that time, I put a lot of premium on my effort. So I would have said I, I wanted to be a tennis pro. I was, you know, I was working hard in school. I was getting ahead. I was a junior in college at the age of 17. I was like, I was, I was just working hard because I could. And I, I would do that across the board. And I think my equation at that time would have been that life happens with 90% effort and 10% things that you can't, you didn't earn, you know, grace. Right. Unearned merit, so to speak. And so it, that ratio was 90 percent to 10, 90 to 10. Right. And I think now my ratio has flipped. I realize that my effort counts for 10 percent of the outcomes, but 90 percent are factors that I haven't thought of that I don't control. Um, and it's grace. Um, and so effort is still important, but you have to account for grace. And that equation flip, I think, changes everything. I think our ego fundamentally has very limited capacities. Um, It tends to think very linearly. I did this, and then that happened, and then that happened, and that created this effect, right? But what happens when everything is connected, when everything affects the whole in very different ways, right? Causing a nonlinear effect, our egos can't wrap our minds around it because it wants to hold everything, right? That's the ego wants to control and wants to own and wants to accumulate and aggregate. Whereas, it, so as soon as you start to look at life in that way, you say, wow, that's big. Um, and, and I think ego has a hard time with that. So for me, I think one of the big mistakes that I saw myself making is this, uh, well, I think, I think mathematicians or, I, I, or economists uh, or scientists, they use this word, this distinction, uh, this confusion between causation and correlation. Yes. That we, you know, they used to think like the most classic example of this is uh, back when polio was around, they would say, oh my God, if you eat ice cream in the summers, uh, you'll get polio. And they actually had posters everywhere and, and it had nothing to do with it. It was just like, it was summertime summertime everyone has uh you know everyone has ice cream and at the same time polio went up and uh we thought it was a causation but actually it was just a correlation and i think all too often when things happen in hindsight we look back and say oh i know why that happened but actually we don't um and and this is true even at scale uh, they're so we're terrible at predicting the future i mean really bad humanity on the whole um, you know, uh, Nicholas Taleb wrote a book called Black Swan about, about it, outlining every single ways in which like we're just we're a disaster. And so 
how do we, I, I think this, all of this to me uh, just uh, made me land into a place uh, where I can say that, oh, my ego is not going to know everything and that's okay. Um, and, and, you know, there's a beautiful quote, uh, it says, my heart will know today what my mind will know tomorrow. Mm. That to, to, to trust in that, uh, when your mind and its ego just wants to kind of hold it all and say, I know, uh, how do you land the, I don't know. And it's not a sacrifice. It's actually a celebration of grace, right? It's not the sacrifice of the known. It's actually a celebration of this incredible field of possibility. So um, it's it's been a journey, and I was still on it. Maybe I'll be at ninety one percent land next year. You know, but <laughs> <laughs> the last That's mile true. is always hard, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I was getting this image when you were speaking about uh, the way that grace is described, and I think it was Lahiri Mahashaya in our tradition, one of the guru preceptors of the Kriya Yoga lineage, one of. Um, uh, one of the um, teachers of the teacher of, of Yogananda. Um, and it, it, the great, the winds of the quote is the winds of grace are always blowing and all we need to do is raise our sail. Mm -hmm. And that is such a beautiful way of thinking about it. And in some ways, and I look at my life and things that have happened, some ways the things that happen, not through your effort, but just that happen are so much more than you could ever have dreamed. If you were creating the outcome, the outcome would have been smaller yeah. than whatever eventually eventually happens. However, on the adult the adult side, so what do you see as the role then of strategy or planning? You know, if you're not attached to the outcome or, of action, so is there a way that we can you know plan strategically, but then let go of outcomes so we sort of have a direction? Is that is that what you're pointing to? Yeah. You know, post-pandemic, uh, we actually made a list of five or six questions that we were holding. I published a little blog on it. And one of the questions was, how do we respond to emergencies without losing touch with emergence? Right? Mm. Emergency is very linear and we need it at times. Clearly, we have to respond in the here and now. Um, but emergence is nonlinear and it's unpredictable. And, but, and we, just because it's, it's that way, it doesn't mean we can forget about it, right? Um, so one question is that how do you respond to emergencies in the now with a heart of emergence? Mm. Um, and I think the second question is how do you lead, uh, not just hold them both together, but actually lead with emergence? Mm -hmm. um, and I think be, to do that, you actually need to have a field of emergence so it becomes a very real possibility. If you don't have a field of emergence, if you're surrounded by you know, linear thinking and linear structures – and linear <clears throat> emergence. So every emergency, you're going to be responding in that kind of a way. Um, so I, I think I think the way I think about it, you know, running an organization that's service based and so many things going on in so many directions, uh, you certainly need strategy and planning. But I think the way I've come to look at it is that you have a default plan, um, but you're radically open to changing courses based on the intelligence of emergence. So if, if you have a plan, right, if you have a plan and you're addicted to the outcomes, right. uh, we, we really handcuff ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, so then pretty soon we're just responding to emergencies and getting stressed out and feeling helpless, you know, at all the sort of ills of the world uh, because we're disconnected. So how do we, um, you know, you, you, you have a plan 
uh, you're ready to go on that plan, but you're also open to radically changing course. Uh, and I think holding both of those is a really helpful tension that allows you to hold emergencies with a heart of emergence. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a practice. It's a practice. I don't think there's a, you know, like, hey, this is the recipe. Go out and do it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that, though. And I love that the words are so similar, emergency and emergence. And yet they are. It's that same. Uh, the two directions that it faces, kind of like we were talking about with selfless service, the inner direction, the outer direction, and then emergency and emergence, emergency with this kind of linear plan that you have to have. But then that idea of being radically open to changing that totally, be open to what is emerging, that's just that's just fascinating and exciting way to think about it. So that's, that's really great. So, um, karma yoga or selfless service is also related to compassion. Um, it's, it's when we think about it in the way of helping people, quote unquote, helping people, the word help gives the idea that the helper is better than the person who's receiving the help. But really what we're talking about with karma yoga is serving the one in all, serving the one in all. So how does the grace that we've been talking about relate to compassion? Well, there's a very uh, there's a very strong through line between grace and compassion. I feel. Um, I, I, in fact, just yesterday I was on a call uh, with a whole bunch of educators and uh, reflecting on compassionate leadership, and we were talking about this. We said nobody really thinks that uh, we shouldn't have compassion in the classroom. Classroom. We shouldn't have compassionate teachers. We shouldn't have compassionate school leadership. Uh, no parent says I don't want compassionate kids. You know, and yet. It beca- it's a very hard thing to kind of cultivate. Um, we know about intellectual quotient, IQ, and we know even about EQ, but we don't know about CQ, which is compassion quotient. Mm. Um, and so, I, you know, what we ended up talking about, which I think is critical, and, and it draws a through line to grace, is that when you ask the question, how do we grow in compassion? Our usual response is that of like a manufacturing metaphor, right? You start here, you don't have that much compassion, you apply this recipe, and by the time you get to the end of the conveyor belt, you're going to have a lot more compassion. Uh, (laughs) And that would be great. They're actually working on a compassion pill, right? Believe it or not. Yeah, it's it's, it's this reductionist kind of thinking. Uh, but in reality, we know that, you know, compassion doesn't grow like that, right? Like it's, it's not just a matter of curriculum and having teachers trained and certified in compassion training. That is not sufficient. Um, and so the metaphor needs to shift from manufacturing to gardening. Mm-hmm. And it, in gardening, you're putting your effort in, you're, you're doing your part, but you also need the grace of the wind, the grace of the sun, the grace of the rain. You, so many factors, you know, al- need to align for, you know, for that tomato to grow and you can't put a timeline on it. Um, and, and so what is that? You know, that is actually a relationship to grace. Um, so if we want to have a more compassionate, if we ourselves want to be compassionate, you can't say, look, I'm going to do this and I'm going to change my ways by tomorrow. You know, it doesn't work. <laughs> really? New Year's resolutions don't yeah, that's work? That's right. Yeah. Oh, just fix it, it. You know, it's a problem. <laughs> 
being self-centered is so stressful, so much anxiety. I just want to end it. Can I just end it by tomorrow? I see. That's right. You're... I'm going to wake up tomorrow. It'll be a clean slate. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really... I really love that where you're talking about this idea of this, I could see this assembly line of how we increase compassion, which is so, it's so linear. It's so oriented towards emergency and there's no room for emergence there. And in the gardening analogy that you said, we need to switch from this manufacturing analogy to a gardening analogy. That's full of it, right? That's just that's emergence is is what has to be there because you can't make it you can't make it happen yeah totally absolutely really beautiful so um the title of the program today we titled transforming ourselves in the world through selfless service so how how do you see letting go of the outcome of our work or working on the mindset of compassion as you know, what's the link that with this, you know, this personal transformation? You have more that you want to say about that? I, can I have you just repeat the last part? I think I was having technical difficulties. Yeah, sure. Uh, so um, it's the question about, you know, as we change our mindset, how is that how is that linked to then personal personal transformation? What do you see as that as that link that as as we let go of outcomes? How does that result in our personal transformation. So it's, this is very similar to uh, how a small act of kindness transforms you, right? Like it's, it's, if you look at the trajectory of when you let go of personal outcomes, you go from me to we, Um, and an act of service is a transition from me to we, no matter how momentary, no matter how small in that moment, we're putting a break on the ego. When we do that, when we go out and let's say pay toll for the car behind us, we don't know what's actually going to happen as a result of it. But what happens inside of us? It's it's very uh, I I, I think there's a lot there to reflect on. What I have noticed in myself uh, from my experiments is that as soon as I um, as soon as I go from the me to the we, even in that moment, my mind quiets down. And as my mind quiets down, it falls into this deep interconnection. Mm-hmm. And as there is this deeper interconnection, this web, this field that you kind of fall into, you are nourished and you are satisfied. Mm-hmm. So you're no longer identifying yourself as a consumer first because you're already getting, I, I don't need to de-stress. I don't need to go out and buy a few things to complete me. I'm not looking at as, at relationships as transactions where I get stuff in return. So it, it gives you a momentary insight into uh, just leading as a contributor and not as a consumer. Mm-hmm. And, and that gives you more strength to then meet another moment and say, hey, I'm going to do more of that. And the more of that we do over time, our mm. default starts to change. Mm. And we we no longer open a door and say, hey, what can I get from this? We open each door and you say, what can I give? Mm. And you think that if you are giving, you will not receive that, oh, my God, who will take care of me if I'm always just thinking about giving? But lo and behold, you discover that as you open each door and you're, you know, with a heart of service, you are invariably receiving. And in fact, receiving for every inch you give, you're receiving 
a foot in return. Mm -hmm. And at some point in our evolution, it starts to become so profound that you're always behind. It's like, oh my God, like I got a foot. Oh, I feel so grateful. Let me pay forward this foot. And now you're getting a, you know, a, a whole bunch back in return. And you realize mm -hmm. you just fall to your knees and you're just in this deep gratitude. And you say, wow, I'm receiving way more than I could ever give. Thank you. I have no pockets. May it seep out of me. Even without my knowing, may I and my whole being become uh, become an instrument of of this kind of a flow, and then you're no longer keeping track of giving and receiving, um, and 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 that's the journey. That's the that's the journey that just the simplest act of trans uh, kindness uh, can actually you know take us on, and and that's an incredible potential to be empty uh, and to just be an instrument of a much larger force beyond our egos. Um, that is uh, deeply nourishing and satisfying. Mm. Mm. It's so beautiful, really, really beautiful and a lovely, lovely way to close the program. So you've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and I've been discussing transforming ourselves and the world through selfless service with Nipun Mehta, the founder of servicespace.org an incubator of projects that works at the intersection of volunteerism, technology, and the gift economy. So thank you for this conversation and for your so many acts of selfless service, Nipun. This has just been uh, inspirational for me, and I know our listeners are really going to appreciate it. Thanks for joining me today on the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So for listeners, we encourage you to join us for the many online programs offered by Yogacharya O'Brien and the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, including morning meditation, which occurs daily from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. Pacific, daily afternoon meditation from 4 to 4.30 p.m. Pacific, and Sunday satsangs from 10 to 11 a.m. Pacific time. Yogacharya will also be offering an online Kriya Yoga retreat June 24th through June 27th. 2021. And for more information, you can go to csecenter.org. Join me next time. I will be joined by Dr. David Frawley. We will be discussing the yoga of consciousness. How can observing and contemplating our daily movement through waking, dream, and deep sleep lead to boundless wisdom and enduring bliss? The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers, Ann Hayes and Mickey Coronado. And as always, Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unityonlineradio.org. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world.
Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. 